0: Hello, I'm Dr. Beverly Wright, Executive Director of the Business Analytics Center at Georgia Tech. This is the Analytics Buzz, a podcast about trends, tools, techniques, and talent related to data science and analytics. Our podcast uses an interview format with industry and academic leaders and is intended for analytics-interested business professionals from the U.S. and beyond. Thank you again for listening to the Analytics Buzz. With us today, we have Bianca Jane, and we're talking about influencing by numbers. Welcome to the Analytics Buzz, Bianca. Thank you. it time you. For me. Awesome. I got to tell you that you your book is one of my favorite books of all time, including Joe Hare's Multivariate Data Analysis book. How nerdy is that? But I really love your book <laughs> called Behind Every Good Decision. Um, so first and foremost, thank you for that. And I wanted to see if you could give us a quick introduction of who you are and why you're so cool. <laughs> I don't
1: know about the cool part, but yeah, sure. I, uh, head up an analytics, um, management, uh, um, business management organization focusing on analytics. Uh, it's called A-Ring, and, uh, what we do on the corporate side is training, recruiting, as well as, um, consulting. And on the individual side, they help individuals build their analytics capabilities. We have options specific to career transition to analytics. Uh, we have options for analysts who are looking to become a powerhouse analytical experts and also uh for business professionals who are looking to learn analytics. And my background has been in analytics for many years. I've uh, prior to A ring I've had a um leadership um roles, have had leadership roles in, in analytics with uh, companies like PayPal and uh Adobe and such.
0: Very cool. And A ring is A R Y N G, is that right? Is that in California? Okay. That is yeah, these Very nice. I hope you're having good weather like we are. Oh well, today it's a rainy day but Oh, sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> I won't rub it in your face then. <laughs> so uh <laughs> we're talking today about um influencing by numbers. So what does that mean, uh, to influence by numbers specifically in the business arena?
1: It is it is one of my favorite topics that we literally. It's just one of those things that is you don't you know, I I seen so many good uh good projects, good analysis gone to gone to waste because that aspect of presentation or, or in, in, in proper influencing of engine, right. So I think it's a very important topic, and I'm so glad we are talking about it. Um, I think what it means for me as, it, as I see it in the organization is a lot of organizations have, have data, uh, but they're not able to necessarily put it to, to where the decisions are being made. And there are many, many, uh, reasons why that happens. There are, there are many places where things may break. Uh, and one of the places where it breaks is because of bridging the gap between where the data is and where the business is and, and how, how do the people, you know, at, uh, machines don't make decisions. Actually, people make decisions. And so, how do people who make decisions, how do they connect with, um people who are either deriving impact And if they are the same people, how do they, bridge that gap between having the data, having the report, having the dashboard, looking at it, and being able to translate that into to insight. Uh, so influencing is part of that, you know, very important function of how data turns into decisions.
0: So it's really about, if I'm hearing you right, um, what happens, say, after uh, either a project or a system or some kind of analytics or data science activity um, happens so then, it's the, it sounds like you're saying the then what, and oh my gosh, you're right, this never gets talked about. Um, is, it, is that an accurate description, the then what part?
1: Yeah, then what part is the, the you know, so what part. You know, you, are, you have a great insight, so what? What should I do differently because you're telling me this about my customer or my product?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I think influencing is even zooming out. Although most of us, I mean, if you talk to most analysts, like I talk to many, many uh, data scientists and data miners, I often see that um, 's all another conferences, and I ask them what their biggest issue is, and their their biggest so far <laughs> the biggest issue any analyst can tell you there is is they build the best of the models, best of the reports, best for the dashboard, and it doesn't get used
2: mm-hmm. um
1: and the reason it doesn't get used um is because they're not necessarily using the gap from having the data to uh you know to be able to to you know, to, to uh, launching the decision makers into action. Um, but let me pause here. If you ask those same folks, folks um, the analysts, mm-hmm. what do you think you should do, or what is your question? They are, like, for sure, they're gonna come back and say, you know, I have my insights, now can you tell me how to package this insight and so that I can influence that person, you know, that VP of marketing into action so that they can actually stop doing this thing that they're doing, which is not working out for our customers? And um, I, my answer is, it's too late. Mm-hmm. If you think you have the insight, and and you're, now you're ready to shove it down somebody's throat, it's, it's too late, that's not where really influencing starts. Influencing starts way in the beginning, way at the beginning of the uh, project, when a question has been asked, uh, what do we know about this particular problem, or why do we have this problem, or um, how do we better decide this, or where should I spend my marketing budget, or which product to stop focusing on, whatever those questions are. Influencing starts right there. Influencing starts early in the game uh, by uh, by engaging the stakeholders, the stakeholders who need to contribute to, the, uh, to your project as well as the stakeholders who need to take action on your project. All together uh, at the beginning. And there's a whole science to it, but you know. So that's basically what I'm trying to say with with this is that it doesn't. If you think that you have insights and you're ready to influence, that's way to, that that that. that
0: You can tell that's a red flag, right, right. It it sounds almost as if um, you're talking about the analyst who's walking around with a hammer looking for a nail. Exactly. Instead of trying to figure out where's the loose board, um, what are we going to do about the loose board, how are we going to manage the loose board, what do we apply to the loose board? (laughs) And so if we're saying it goes back to a certain starting point, would you say, um, it sounds like you're saying that that's the the defining of a problem. Is that accurate, or is it before that, or yes. how? Yeah. Help us understand. I mean, that. if
1: your if, if your audience, if, if in your audience, if they are the analysts themselves, mm-hmm. they are the data scientists or analysts or data miners. Then for them, the the whole influencing part starts when somebody asks them a question. Why are our customers turning away? Can you help me find an answer, or can you actually reduce our, uh, you know, uh, this this particular metric that we having? Our losses are too high. Can you help us reduce that? Mm-hmm. When that question gets asked, that's where the influencing, the process of influencing starts, and there's a whole mass to it. Um, you influence at the at the and we teach. By the way, this is this is the science. We teach that as part of our business analytics course. It's also actually covered somewhat in the uh, in the book behind every good, good decision that mm-hmm. you were mentioning. Uh, but there is a there's a whole map to it um science to it and the science is, science says you engage with your stakeholders with meaningful questions to understand what is really happening so you do not you don't jump to solve the first question that comes out of your stakeholders now. Mm-hmm. what you try to do is use consultative approach to really understand what is really happening, what is really bothering them, what are the constraints they are facing who what are they accountable for? What is keeping them up at night? Uh, when do they need to, need to make that decision by? What action do they to really take if they get this answer? All of those things you need to understand and formulate into a real business question before uh, you launch into the analysis. So that's kind of first step. And the mm-hmm. second part of it is, um, so now, once you, you start doing that, you will see your, the attitude of your stakeholders completely changes towards you. They will uh, see you as a partner in solving this problem. You know, you, you're both together pushing this big, this this big boulder up mm-hmm, the hill. Mm-hmm. So you become a partner in solving this problem. Uh, the second part is as you lay out uh, a plan, a hypothesis of a plan, you engage again with the stakeholder in uh, in exploring and identifying the hypotheses behind uh, what could be going on. Uh, let's say the problem is you know our best of our customers are turning away, and that's happening since uh, you know February 2015. Something is really going on. We need to find the issue behind that. So the question, then you come up with your, all your stakeholders, along with the ones who are ready to take action on is uh, what do you think is going on? What, has, has any product changed? Have we made any product changes? Have we rolled out any policy changes? What, what do you think is going on? And that will give you a lot of hypotheses behind what might be going on, which you might, as an analyst, might not even be aware of. So what you do is you, col- you collect, you collectively take input from all the stakeholders to build this uh, unit of information which is then your part to prove it out, right? So you have a set of hypotheses that you're gonna use the historical data to prove it out. And then you yeah, really, you know, we did make a policy change and this policy is not sitting well with, you know, because it's actually, our top buyers are most influenced, uh, affected by it, such and such is happening, and that's why we, you know, that is why we are having change the churn. Or, you know, that may be a percentage of, that may explain a percentage of the churn, right? So, but that cannot happen if you don't select a good body of hypotheses. Uh, also, your stakeholders are more, especially those who are ready to act. action on, they are more ready to be influenced when you come with the insight. Then they have provided you input mm. towards that towards that question. So they have been, they have been in the same room. They have told you what their ideas are, and then uh, when, you, uh, of course, so you have generated the hypothesis, But then you don't stop there. You then put a, put this all together in a nice little neat one pager of many pages An analysis plan and get a get a sign-off by the stakeholders. This is what we talked about, we met Monday, we met here Thursday, we did the brainstorm and come Friday or next Monday, I have this analysis plan for you, this is what we read on. At that point, you're giving the stakeholder another chance and saying, no, no, I don't like your methodology, no, no, this is too late, by that time my decision will already be made and so on. Right, so there is, there is this um, what you're trying, what you're doing here, is you, you, you know, many people think influencing is one way. What you're actually doing, influencing is actually two ways. You're you're taking input from the stakeholders and and bringing them to your side, so that it's no more your job to influence. It they are collectively solving the problem together. You guys are together collectively solving the problem.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's how you know. So that's how you're building the influencing. And then then there's the whole. Um, Aspect of when you're finally done with the insight, when you have some insight, by right that time you've primed your stakeholders enough, they are waiting for the insights. because they know. From Thursday in your analysis plan, you, you said already your first milestone was second with, checking with uh, Sam on Thursday with my first set of insights, and they're waiting for you already mm-hmm. uh, to provide insight. They're oh, what did you find? Uh, am I uh, are we ready to take action? And then when you make the final presentation. Uh, they are prime. They already know the early insights. They know the problems. They know the hypothesis. Everything is ready. So that's kind of, you know, you are setting up the stage for that grand finale. Uh, and that's why when you think that I already have the insights, let me see why I can shove it down the throat and influence. That doesn't work. Because right. I haven't done that all that all that groundwork.
0: Yes. I got you. I'm going to come back to that, um, that that thought and that list. I jotted some things down. Um, I'm going to come back to that in a second. But I just want to point out one, um, one thing I heard that I think will Resume on your end uh, from one of my students. I was teaching a graduate class. I teach um, a business analytics practicum and big data analytics and business uh, courses here at Georgia Tech. Um, and I had a student who they work, you know, a real project hands on, they solve a real business problem, and I teach them uh, some of the principles that you just talked about. Um, I actually have your book in one of my syllabi. And um cool. yeah, and my student actually said at the end of the semester because they had worked so hard and they did so much, but the PowerPoint doesn't it doesn't center around what they did. It was centering around answering the business question. And so he he said, "How are we going to prove to our client that we did all this work?" <laughs> and I, so I had to tell him like Dude, <laughs> that's not the point. We have to remember that the point is to support a decision or to focus on, you know, become more problem-focused and data-inspired decision-making is where we're going with that. So I, I think it's interesting that we've gotten to this point. And I'm not sure how we got to this point or if we've just been growing so quickly that it's it's just sort of happened um, organically. But I, I do I definitely see that gap that you're talking about. Um, so it sounds like some of the things that you mentioned I wrote down five is number one framing has to happen some kind of framing. you know, don't take the first thing that comes out of their mouth to say, "Oh, that's the problem," but to actually peel the onion to an extent to figure out what's really going on. Mm-hmm. second, it sounds like you're saying we need to um we as analysts need to get better at developing partnerships with those that are requesters and those that are consumers of our data science work. And so it doesn't, it, it, to summarize a lot of what you said, it doesn't need to be aha, oh my gosh moments at the end. So you're not holding your breath and waiting for the end and then going, big splash, here's what's happening, here's what we found. There should yeah, be...
1: Right. To
0: <laughs> yeah, so there should be steps along the way so that there's not like these giant you know, avoid the fireworks at the end kind of moments. It's more, as you know, we've been doing this, this, and this, and here's what we found. Um, Nobody likes to be socialized, I think.
1: That's what people need to understand. They don't like the drama in real life.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, they're holding your breath and waiting to see and and not being involved. So engage with your stakeholders. That was another thing that you mentioned. Um, And include them in multiple points so that there's not this big ending. Fourth, you talk about collectively taking input throughout the process, and you know two, three, and four kind of go together: developing the partnership, engaging the stakeholders at multiple points, collectively taking their input, and then the fifth one I love is that you need to prime the leadership, the consumers of the data science, by involving them, and in many ways they might feel like. Um, Hey, this is something that we did together. You know, which they did, <laughs> because if, if they're guiding, you know, I use an um, example in class sometimes, where um, there is these blocks, and if you put three people on a team, even with with really small Montessori blocks, it still works. If you put three people on a team and they have to stack a tower as tall as possible with these blocks you'll uh, almost always have at least one person that doesn't actually touch the blocks, but they're sort of guiding and maybe even um, making sure the blocks don't fall, but they're not actually stacking a single block. know it's almost like your stakeholders are that person that's helping, they're still helping build the tower, but they haven't stacked a single block. They're just kind of guiding it along the path. Do you think that's a fair characterization of how you can involve your stakeholders or how? what else can you say about that?
1: Yeah, I think that 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 you know that may be how one, one of the ways in which your stakeholders may get involved. Sometimes they may get more in a, in a more deeper way. Sometimes you might get the best of the insights that you can act on from from them, my best of the hypotheses. I have many many examples of that in the book as well as in my real life where uh, where you know you wouldn't even if but for that that stakeholder who actually asked the question knowing certain details of how this product works, you wouldn't have even gotten to the biggest you know, the biggest insights. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's different level of involvement. I do want to say um, towards towards the end, you know, making presentation is not trivial. I think you were talking about your students coming and saying, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's not showing what what all the work that they've done in last six weeks so or more. Um, there are few things to know about even in the presentation, which I've seen all the front end work done well and still completely complete botchery of the present on the presentation day where you don't provide the right information at the right time to the right stakeholders and they leave the room the meeting without having that action item and so there are many things that again this is a science you see how to make that good presentation but a few things that maybe talk two to three things that i want to talk about today one is tell only one story Mm -hmm. i've seen it many many times over people try to tell too many things in one presentation Mm -hmm. tell only one story what is it that one or two action that you're wanting stakeholders to take and why is it that you're wanting them to take? What, what in your insights uh, support that? So tell only one story uh, about, you know, however you build the deck, just tell one story, don't distract. The other one is to make sure to customize your deck through your audience. Uh, who is your audience and what is the biggest pain point they have, right? Um, you know, uh, is, is it that they are very concerned with customer experience? You know, so if you're, for example, classic. If you're talking to a head of marketing, uh, you know, what do you think they would they would be more concerned about? Would they be concerned about cost or revenue? Uh, and how would you make your presentation? And then, if you were taking the, would you take the same presentation to head of cost or head of finance? No, right? Because the finance person may not care as much about revenue. They're talking about bottom line. And your your um, your marketing person or the head of business unit uh maybe talking, you know, maybe maybe more concerned about driving the top line. Mm-hmm. So you have to make your presentation. Your same insights, same presentation may take many forms as you present if you if, if it turns out that you need to make presentation to many stakeholders. So you you have to customize your presentation to your um to your audience and also to their style, which many times we don't know, but sometimes uh, different audiences have different styles. Some people like to be told what it is first and then the explanation. Some people like the explanation first. They, they like the build-up. You know, explain, 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 and then tell me what it is that I need to do. So you need to understand what their style is as well mm-hmm. to make a presentation where where you know people walk away and say, okay, I got it. I'm ready to take action. So there are a few things that again, even in the presentation stage, you need to you know um, you know put less words, more visuals, uh, and in and no more than two, four, five stages. Because in an in an hour for an hour meeting, if it's you now, typically, first, second, first, two, or three pages apply slides is all people will spend time on. And so make sure you're saying the most important thing first. Again, going back to telling one story. What is it that you want them to know? And why is it that you're telling that? So there is a whole art or science of presentation as well. So, um, not to, not to, uh, which is what most people think influencing my numbers is, is how do I make a good presentation? Um, which is also true. You also need to do that part well. But there's also this front end part, with you and I just.
0: About, mm-hmm. So, a quant might say, shouldn't the numbers speak for themselves? Can I not just show, here's the numbers, and see what it means to you? Well, unfortunately, we are not uh, all
1: the best analysts, and not all of us read the numbers fast enough and in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes numbers can mean different things. It's all about the context. I mean, if I today told you uh, that our, you know... Um, I am uh, I'm heading up a company and, uh, you know, I can tell you my customer satisfaction rate is, you know, 55%. Is it a good or a bad number?
0: How do <laughs> right, you know? Right, exactly. It could
1: be great. It could be pretty bad. It all depends on the context. You can, in addition to that, you might need to tell the industry standard is this, then on specifically for your kind of business, this, then it might make sense. Or it has been reducing, it has been increasing. All of those contexts add to it. So the number by itself seems, Pretty much nothing yeah and it and it's it's of a lot of mis uh misreading of it um that you know you and i have seen that again over and over again that dashboard supposed to get gets in the hands of. Kind of folks who are looking at it differently, and mm-hmm. different groups will come, use the same what that come from different insights.
0: Yes, I know, um, I got and then
1: you.
0: Found that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we that. had it oh we had a discussion, a big discussion about that at our business analytics forum recently, and um, we talked about what appears to be inconsistencies in um, reporting and dashboarding and things like that. Um, and you know, to your point about uh, I was being kind of a devil's advocate with don't the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah um, my I tell my students a couple of rules. I really only have just a handful in their presentations, and um, one of the big ones is not to use phrases like "as you can see" or you know <laughs> terms like "obviously" because it's not obvious to them, or they might not see it the way you do. So I appreciate that we're having this conversation. <laughs> Um, However, it does seem like when I'm thinking about um, the literally hundreds of quants that I've met over the 13 years of teaching plus the interactions with industry and and the consulting, people with the types of skills that can communicate effectively technical information and people that can actually produce that kind of technical information, that seems like a, a difficult combination. So, Are there certain types of people with those skills or can they get built somehow as far as the delivery?
1: yeah you know so I thought the same that there were too many sets of people well, There are certain people were good at one thing and then the other people were good at the, the, the another thing you know, as we just talked about you know five years ago if you asked me and I was setting up the business analytics group for north america at data i used to, I used to hire here as and well actually that's what I would think that you know I need to find you know this is a gap in my group and maybe maybe I need to find somebody that's you know more focused on almost more, more trends on this scale and so on. Uh, But after five years of training people, um, many analysts, many data scientists, very business professionals, stakeholders, and even executives in both corporate setting as well as other sides. I'm now more than confident and can say with confidence that you can learn this. Uh, Any data scientist analyst who is willing to learn, who is interested in learning, they have to be willing to do it, but if they're interested in learning, really how do you not stop at your best model and and most complex model, or whatever else. Then, how do you take it beyond that? Uh, if they're interested in taking it beyond that, they're interested in making sure that their insight turns into decisions and turns into dollars or savings or you know solving world problems. Then, um, then they need to learn this, and they can learn this. There is a science behind it, as I just said. You know, we, we walk. We, this is what we call green track or business track also in the book. There's a whole. Times behind it, if you can practice and practice and practice, and then you feel good at it, and then, then, then basically your value will be many times over for the organization than it would be if you didn't have
0: Awesome. You might be the first person I've ever heard say that. So that's really encouraging. That um, it doesn't have to be something you're born with or something that kind of happens um, naturally. That you can actually be trained in those types of skills. So very interesting. Absolutely. So to to round this off, um, if you had to pick one piece of advice, um, what what one piece of advice would you give an analytics professional looking to communicate technical information in a more meaningful way?
1: Engage, engage,
0: engage with your stakeholders. So it's more about the upfront than the actual event, isn't it?
1: Uh, all, all of it, all mm-hmm. of it. I mean, all of these points where you can, you can, you can basically let the ball drop. But you know, you need to engage early, engage, engagement to start early. But keep the engagement going. Don't say, oh God, got your question? Go away for a few weeks and then come back. I have the insight. You won't believe it. Doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't work. Even though it's dramatic, it's like movie-like, but it doesn't work. Yeah. Just take so a ready. They'll poke holes in your insight. All of that will happen. I've seen it many times. You know?
0: Gotcha. Thank you so much, Bianca Jane, CEO of A-Ring and author of one of my favorite books, Behind Every Good Decision, for your insights today. It was great to be here, Thanks again for listening to The Analytics Buzz, a podcast about trends, tools, techniques, and talent related to data science and analytics. Please connect with the Business Analytics Center at Georgia Tech via our website and join my network on LinkedIn, Dr. Beverly Wright, Executive Director of the Business Analytics Center. Thanks again, and have a great data set.